Today is the day. It's not only the day the Lord has made, but it's the day that we wrap up our series in Colossians. It's been a great nine weeks of just learning who Christ is, that He is greater, He is supreme, He is preeminent, right? Amen to that? You awake? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, there's no one more worthy of our worship than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought as we, as we get into the last sermon today in this study, that I would just think through a, b- a bit of the people who might be here this morning. I hope that for each one of us, these last nine weeks have been instrumental in, in moving the ball forward in your faith, in your walk with the Lord that you have been growing. That's ultimately what, what should happen for a Christian when they're confronted with God's Word, that they have a humble and a teachable heart, that you, you come to the Word and you say, all right, Lord, what do you have for me here? How do you want to change me, to transform me? And I hope that's what you've been doing. But if you're here this morning and you would say, you know, honestly, Pastor Nick, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of change in my life over these last nine weeks. And if that's you, if you're struggling, I, I want to encourage you to reach out for help. Right? Reach out to your small group leader. Reach out to our pastor team. We don't want anyone to be here just sitting silently, struggling in their faith, feeling as if they're all alone. And there may be things in your life that need to change. There may be lies that you're believing and repeating to yourself that need to be confronted with truth. Or perhaps you're in a season of suffering and you're, you're weighed down by the cares of, of what's happening in your life and in this world. And you just need someone to walk with you, to, to encourage you, to uh, come alongside of you and bear some of that burden with you. Whatever situation you might be in, I just want to encourage you, don't do it alone. You were made for relationships so don't walk alone. Let people in to come alongside of you. Now, if you're here and, and you would say, well, you know what? Uh, God has been doing an amazing work in my life. I've been so challenged, so encouraged by what I've learned in Colossians. Well, praise God for that. I hope that you're sharing that with others. I hope that you're not keeping that to yourself, right? You're opening your mouth and you're encouraging those who God has put in your, your sphere of influence, your, your family, your friends, your coworkers, that neighbor that you've lived next to for 20 plus years. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's how iron sharpens iron. We speak of the things that God is doing in our lives. Your neighbors need to hear what God's doing. Your family needs to hear what God's doing. Your coworkers need to hear what God is doing in your life. So speak boldly. Speak courageously. We're going to hear a little bit about that today. And if you're here today and today's your first day, uh, well, glad you're here. Um, <laughs> Excited to have you with us. My name is Nick, and I have the privilege of opening up God's Word with you this morning. And even though you've joined us on the last Sunday of of being in the book of Colossians, I hope that you'll tune in and you'll see there's a lot here still in this very last sermon to to grasp onto and to be challenged by. And I also want to invite you back next week when we get back into our study of the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to be back in our study of the Gospel of Matthew in a series called Opposition Intensified. And that's going to carry us all the way through June, so please come back for that as we get to sit at the feet of Jesus yet again. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention to the text for today. Go ahead and grab your Bibles or your smart devices, whatever you're using, and turn to the letter um, to the Colossians, specifically to chapter 4. Now, that's going to be page 572 if you grabbed one of those blue Bibles on the way in. Um, and, And as you're turning there, as you're getting ready for reading God's Word today, I'll just, again, give us one final reminder of the context of what we're about to read. So this, this letter that we're reading was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. And he's writing to them from a prison cell. 
Right? So even in prison, Paul is, is not done doing the work of the Lord. He's not done with ministry. He's not letting that hinder the advance of the gospel. He's a great example for us of counting the cost of following Christ, of being willing to advance the gospel in any and all circumstances that you find yourselves in. Now, going back to the very start of the letter, just real quick, when we started this series earlier in January, we talked about some themes that were carried throughout the letter. So let me just remind you of a few of them. We're going to see them again today. Themes of thanksgiving. Paul was regularly giving thanks and praise to God for the fruit that he had produced in the Colossians. And he was calling the Colossians to also give thanks to God for what he was doing in them. And not only were there themes of thanksgiving, there's also the theme of growth. That because the gospel is at work in them, that produces something in them. It changes them. They don't stay the same. They are growing in their knowledge of God and his will. And as a result of growing in the knowledge of God and his will, they're transformed. There's these themes of of transformation. In fact, Paul prayed that as you grow in the knowledge of his will, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. As As we understand who God is and what he's done, it ought to change us. We don't stay the same. We keep growing and walking with him. And then the last theme that we drew out was God as the source. That ultimately all of this growth, all of this transformation is happening because God is at work in us. And the way that he's at work in us is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see some of these themes come back into play as Paul closes up the letter this morning. He's going to call the people to be thankful to be thankful uh, for all that God has done and all that he's going to continue to do. He's going to call them to live sacrificially, to allow God to transform their lives, to no longer be selfish, but instead to get out and to share the gospel with others. And he's going to remind them, you're not in this alone. Christ has rescued you, and he's rescued you and you and you, and we're in it together. We're advancing the gospel together. There's a lot here for us to learn. So let's turn our attention now to Colossians 4. We're going to read verses 2 all the way through the end of the, of the letter in verse 18. Here's what it says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him... Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and at Hierapolis, 
Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. There it is, the letter of Colossians, right? And in this last study, as we finish out the letter and what Paul's written here, it's really broken up into two specific sections. You've got verses 2 through 6, which comes first, and that's kind of the closing of the body of the letter. Paul is giving a, a few final commands of how to live in light of Christ's finished work. And then you have verses 7 through 18, where Paul is giving these final greetings. He's, he's reminding the Colossians of, of these people that are instrumental in Paul's life and in their life, that brothers and sisters in Christ who are advancing the gospel together. And they ought to rejoice in those people. They ought to look to those people even as an example for how to minister in Christ's name. And as I was you know, studying this passage for today, as I was preparing, uh, there was a theme that I believe began to bubble to the top here throughout these last verses. And it's the reason why at the top of your uh, bulletin here, the, the title of the sermon is Sacrificial Service. Sacrificial Service. That's what we're seeing here today. And we're going to be talking about laying down your life for the Lord. Laying down your life for the Lord. Right? In light of who Christ is, in light of what Christ has done, Christians are called to respond to that. We're, we ought to lay down our lives for the sake of the Lord. We're called by him into his ministry, and it's a sacrificial calling. So let's talk about that. What does that look like for Christians to do that? Well, if you go back to the very start of this, of this chapter, verses 2 through 4, we're going to see the first calling here. Paul said, again, I'm going to remind us of what he said, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So you, you hear the command there. It starts with the command. Paul's telling them, continue steadfastly in prayer. Another way of saying that is be devoted to it. Be committed to prayer. Or as, it, as it's listed out here in the sermon uh, bulletin notes, persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. And that's what Paul's exhortation to the Colossians is. Don't give up. Don't quit praying. Keep on in that habit. It's part of your walk with Christ. And we know that that was Paul's own practice. He's modeled it for him already in the letter. If you remember back at chapter 1, at the very start of the letter, after he introduced himself to the church, what did he do? He launched into 12 verses of thanksgiving and prayer for the church and for God's work in the church. And without reviewing all of that, I'm just going to give you two of those verses. Colossians 1, verse 3, it's on the screen behind me. He said this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Right? Paul's constantly thanking God on behalf of the Colossians and, and the growth that he's seen in their church or hearing about in their church. And then just a few verses later, after giving thanks, in verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
Paul's prayer is to keep on keeping on in prayer, right? To continue steadfastly in it. He's not forsaking praying for the Colossians. He, he loves them. He cares for them. They're his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now you have to maybe ask, why is Paul so focused on prayer? Why is this of such importance to him? What is the big deal about prayer? Well, let's, let's talk about that. Prayer is a way for us as Christians to communicate and commune with God. It's a God-given way for us to draw near to our Creator. And I really appreciate the, the way that David Mathis unpacks the definition of prayer in his book, Habits of Grace. And so I'm going to share this with you. It's an extended definition. Please, don't try to write it down. You'll get frustrated. Just, just listen and soak it in, okay? So here's his definition of prayer. Prayer for the Christian is not merely talking to God, but responding to the one who has initiated toward us. He has spoken first. It's not a conversation we start, but a relationship into which we've been drawn. His voice breaks the silence. Then, in prayer, we speak to the God who has spoken. Our asking and pleading and requesting originate not from our emptiness, but His fullness. Prayer doesn't begin with our needs, but with His bounty. Its origin is first in adoration and only later in asking. Prayer is a reflex to the grace He gives to the sinners He saves. It is soliciting His provision in view of the power He has shown. Prayer is the glad response from the bride in a joyfully submissive relationship with her groom, responding to his sacrificial and life-giving initiatives. And so it is a stunning grace that we find in such a simple statement from the psalmist, which applies to every Christian, the Lord accepts my prayer. That is a beautiful definition, a beautiful understanding of, of this relationship that we get to have with God through prayer, responding to who God is and what He has done. He is our rescuer. He is our redeemer. He is the one who has saved us from our sin through Christ, whom this whole letter has been about. Christ is greater. Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent. And we respond to Christ and to God the Father in prayer. We adore Him. We worship Him. And we come before Him with our needs and the needs of others. Now, if you think about that, during his life, Jesus himself taught his followers to pray. This is not just the teaching of Paul. This is the teaching of Christ. This is the example of Christ. And when he taught his followers to pray, he said, look, don't be like the hypocrites who, who pray out loud and, and with flowery speech in order to get the approval of man. He said, no, when you pray, you do it privately. You do it in a way that's drawing near to your father. He hears you. He, he knows what you need. Jesus said, don't, don't do vain repetition. It's not about saying the right phrases over and over again in order to manipulate God to get what you want. He encourages people to pray simply because the Father knows what his children need, and he, and he delights to give it to them. That's the model that Jesus has laid out for us. And if you want to see it, you can go to Matthew chapter 6, and, and it's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. It's right there in verses 9 through 13. We're not going to review it today. But that's something for you to note for, for the future. Jesus commanded his disciples to pray, his followers to pray. And then he also modeled it for them. So in his life and his ministry, Jesus would regularly withdraw, and he would go and be alone and, and spend time with his Father, calling out to him, crying out to him, seeking to spend time with him, responding to who the Father is. 
That's exactly what Paul's now calling the Colossians to persevere in. Persevere in prayer. Draw near to God in prayer. And do it regularly. Do it often. Don't stop doing it, right? This is something that is part of our lives now as Christians. And draw near to Him for all kinds of things. We struggle to do that, though, don't we? I know I do. We struggle to draw near to the Lord. There are all sorts of things that can distract us from the practice of prayer, of continuing steadfastly in it. It's easy for us to be disengaged in our prayer time even, to just kind of be going through the motions rather than locked in and saying, Lord, I need you. It's easy to just avoid praying altogether because we fill up our schedule, we fill up our time with all sorts of other activities. We're busy people. We get selfish with our time and say, you know what? I'd rather go do this instead. Watch the game. Spend time with my family. Go to work. That's why we need perseverance. Perseverance in prayer. You see, the word persevere implies that there are difficulties. There will be challenges in the journey. It's not going to be easy. There will be things that we have to be aware of and to push through and, and with the Lord's help to overcome and often those, those difficulties, those challenges stem from the root issue of not keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, not looking to Christ. Instead, we, we get distracted. We start looking to the left or to the right. Our eyes drift and wander to other things, and we expect them to satisfy us. And the more that that happens, the more that our prayer life dries up, the more that it begins to falter. Your day begins to reflect what you're looking at what you're pursuing. Paul says, though, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's a logical outworking of having your eyes and your focus and your mind set on Christ. As you look to him, you pray and live. That's the logical outcome of it. Seek him day in and day out. Draw near to him regularly. And as you do that, you will pray. You want to be in communication with your creator and your sustainer. You, you realize he's the only one who's going to transform me. So I'm going to draw near to him. He's worthy of worship. Paul goes on to say, not only do you persevere in prayer, but you do it by being watchful in thanksgiving. That's how he elaborates, being watchful in thanksgiving, which means to be alert or to say it negatively, to not be asleep on the job. And that might provoke a, a reminder of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Do you remember what happens after the, after the supper? The disciples follow Jesus into the garden, and, and what does he say to them? Wait here, watch and pray. And then he goes a little bit further into the garden, and he goes and draws near to the Father in prayer. About an hour passes. What happens when Jesus comes back to the disciples? Are they, are they being watchful in prayer? No, they're sound asleep. And Jesus says, wake up. He says, watch and pray. Again, right? Same thing. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus knows the hour is at hand and trials are coming. And then he goes away again into the garden and he spends some more time in prayer. When he comes back, what's going on with the disciples? Are they being watchful and praying? No, they're asleep again, right? They're, they're asleep on the job. They're not alert to the needs of the moment. They're not seeking God on behalf of what's happening around them in that moment. 
That's what Paul's addressing here. When you're watchful in prayer, that means you're awake and alert to the needs of the moment. You're engaged and you're bringing things to the Lord in prayer. Right? So maybe some examples. God, our world, our nation is, is a hot mess right now, Lord. They're turning away from you faster than ever. We need you to move. God, please work in us. Lead us to a place of repentance. Or, Father, you know, Nick in my small group, he's, he's really struggling, Lord. Would you please come alongside of him? Help me to come alongside of him. Would you please convict him, Lord? Would you please encourage him? Or maybe it's something like, you know, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my desires today, and I see it. I, I can feel the war within me. Would you please help me to believe the truth of your word rather than the lies of my deceived heart? Help me to choose to live for you. That's being watchful in prayer, being alert to the needs of the moment in our nation, in your small group, in the people that are around you, in your own life. You're alert to the needs. But that's not all it is. It's also bringing requests to the Lord uh, in a way of praising Him or, or thanking Him, right? Because it says, be watchful in thanksgiving. That means you, you're aware of reasons to give God praise. You're looking for the things that are good. And you're saying, God, that's you at work. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You, you give him the glory. You give him the praise for his goodness. So maybe that sounds like this. God, thank you for the men and the women you put in my life. They are such a sweet blessing to me. You have been at work in them, and now they're being a blessing to me. Thank you. Again, maybe it's reflecting on the character of God. God, you are so gracious to me. You are so merciful, so slow to anger, so patient with a rebel like me. I can't help but praise you for that, Lord. Thank you. Or again, uh, maybe the Lord's been doing something in your life. He's, he's been specifically changing you and transforming you. And it's, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to see victory over this, this area of sin that used to, to destroy me and dominate me. You are a gracious heavenly Father, and I want to worship you. Those are ways for us to give thanks and to be watchful in our prayer. And you see in, in this passage specifically, as the Colossians are called to pray like this, then Paul says, and I also, as you, as you pray like that, I want you to partner with me in prayer. Partner in my ministry. It's a great reminder of the power of prayer. We can pray for the ministry work that's happening around the globe. Because consider, Paul is in prison, right? He's in a city many miles away from where the Colossians are. And yet he says, I want you to pray for me. Just as he's been praying for them. Think about the implications of that. We can partner with what God is doing around the world through prayer. That's amazing. That's a privilege. Why would we not continue steadfastly in it? And if you know um, Paul's life and ministry, if you've read even the letter to the Philippians, you know that the Colossians' prayers didn't go unanswered. As Paul is sitting in his prison cell, he's not just twiddling his thumbs waiting for time to pass. He's actively engaging in ministry with the whole Praetorian Guard. He's evangelizing them and sharing the hope that he has in Christ. So much so that he tells the Philippians, like the whole Roman Guard has heard about Jesus at this point. That's amazing. The power of prayer. The power of being intentional in your witness. Paul laid down his life for the Lord. The Colossians are being called to lay down their life for the Lord. We're being called to lay down our lives for the Lord through prayer. So as you think about that, as you consider that for your life today, 
what might God do through you if you persevere in prayer? How, how might he work in the lives of others in this city or around the globe? Right? You know that every month right now we are giving you this little prayer challenge. There it is. I couldn't figure out where I put it. Right? To pray for a different part of our world this year. The month of March is Europe and Australia. The desire behind that each month of the year is to be praying for the ministry of the gospel that's happening around our world. We're in Des Moines, Iowa. We're not in China. We're not in Iraq. We're not in Australia or Europe, anywhere in Europe. We're here, but we can, through prayer, partner with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are around the globe ministering the gospel in this very moment. That's a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous privilege, and we should continue steadfastly in it. Who knows what God might do? Or, similar to the Colossians as they're praying for Paul as he's in prison, we can be praying for our brothers and sisters who are suffering in prison. And I think of uh, Pastor Wang Yi, um, who's imprisoned in China for nine years now for preaching the gospel. Or Pastor James Coat, who was just recently imprisoned in Canada for keeping his church open in the midst of the pandemic. And there's many others. Are we praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted for the gospel? That's a tremendous privilege. And God works through Paul. God works through the Colossians. And he'll work through you. As you persevere in prayer, don't grow weary of being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. One last way that you can be praying, the pastor team and I wanted to just invite our church body to be praying with us as we just think through the next 20 to 25 years of our church's ministry. Um, we've, been, we've been talking with some folks in the city about just the growth that's going to be coming uh, to the Des Moines metro, and it's going to be, God willing, tremendous. And that's a lot of opportunities. That's a lot of souls to minister to in the name of Christ. So what does it look like for our church to be ready for that, to be in a position uh, to meet their needs, to care for them in the name of Christ? And so we would ask that you be praying with us uh, for God's will to be done and, and for us to have wisdom in knowing, okay, Lord, how do we make decisions in line with your will, specifically about our facilities, but also about ministry in the community? So please be praying and persevering in prayer with us on that matter. But prayer is not where this passage ends. Paul keeps going, right, doesn't he? And look at verses 5 and 6. Now he begins to challenge them to sacrificial service in another way. Verses 5 and 6 say this, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what's the second way you can lay down your life for the Lord? By cultivating a compelling lifestyle. Cultivating a compelling lifestyle. So we're not just praying now for ministries to, to minister or for opportunities to minister. We're actively out there creating those opportunities. We're doing what we can to invite ministry opportunities. And, and again, saying it uh, in a bit of the negative way, we're not doing things that will destroy ministry opportunities in our, in our lives. See, our lives as Christians are meant to be compelling. Well, what does that mean? It means that they evoke interest, that they, that they draw attention or admiration in a powerfully irresistible way. So when we talk about living in a compelling way, we're not talking about doing it for the, for the wrong reasons. It's easy to draw attention for all kinds of, of bad reasons, right? You just be a complete jerk to everyone you ever meet, and you'll draw lots of attention your way. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about cultivating a compelling lifestyle. That's not what Christians are called to. 
Paul says here, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Well, through the study of Colossians, we've heard that walking is synonymous with living. And so he's saying live in wisdom towards outsiders. Well, he's also said in this letter that all the treasures of wisdom are, are hidden in Christ. So now we're talking about walking in wisdom is, is living in a way of Christ, in the way of Christ, towards outsiders. Live in a way that reflects Christ and, and would be like Christ towards those outside of the church. It fits well with the call to sacrificially serve. It's not about us. We lay down our lives for the Lord for the sake of the good of others, that they might hear of the hope of Christ, that they might hear of the lordship of Christ, that that Christ is supreme, that he is worthy of their worship. That's what we're called to as Christians. We don't stay in this little holy huddle. We're to go out into the world and to take the hope of Christ with us when we go. And Paul says that there's an urgency to this, right? This calling is making the best use of the time. That implies that there's a finite amount of moments in our life before Jesus' return. We don't have an unlimited amount of time before Christ returns. My life, your life, has a finite amount of moments left in it before we draw our last breath. What will you do with those moments? How will you use them to reach others for Christ? That's really the call, isn't it? That's what we've been asked to do. And as Christians, we must realize the time is running out. Time is running out. God's kingdom is at hand. And the king will return in power and glory and might to usher in the new heaven and new earth. Praise God for that. We are longing for that day. But that also means that a day is coming when there won't be any more opportunities for people to repent and believe in Christ. And so we better use the moments that we have between now and then wisely, making the most of the time. So Christian, befriend those who are outside of Christ. Share the gospel. Give them the hope that you have from Jesus. The forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation with your creator, the the hope of an eternity that cannot spoil or be taken from you, of being with God where he is. That's what we're called to do. That's the glorious message of hope that we have. And don't live in a way that robs you of opportunities to speak of these magnificent truths. <laughs> don't be a complete jerk. We can, we can give people so many reasons not to listen to us. We just have to be rude to them. We just have to be sinfully argumentative over petty things that, that really don't matter in light of eternity. We, we just fail to be gracious. We fail to be generous with others. Instead, we're, we're miserly and selfish we post on social media in ways that, that communicate, I'm unapproachable. I am, I'm not a safe place for you to wrestle through those issues that you're going through in life. Just do that and you'll rob yourself of opportunities for ministry. That's not how we're called to live. And maybe that's a good time for us to, to talk about verse 6. Look at verse 6. It's pretty clear. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. God's grace changes your speech. You've been a recipient of God's extravagant grace. Don't stay the same in the way that you communicate. Allow that to change you. Speak out of that grace. Share it with others. And I think it's helpful for us when we, when we just slow down for a moment 
and to consider who we are in light of who Christ is. When, when I realize that, that I am a wretch that God came to save, to rescue and redeem, suddenly that puts me in a position of humility. It puts me in a position of, of meekness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me, even though I was a rebel who wasn't looking for you. And that puts me in a place where I, I can then approach others out of humility and meekness rather than pride and arrogance. I can share the hope that I have with other wretches. You see, Christians are, are, are called to be engaging with others in an enticing way, in a salty way, which means not only purifying in, in our speech, but also that invites questions. It causes people to thirst. They want to know more. Why do you live the way that you do? How do you have hope in the midst of everything that's happening in your life? Right? They don't have an answer for that. They want to know. Tell me why you view the world the way that you do. That's what it looks like to live in a salty way with that grace changing you. And the goal, Paul says, is that through this type of speech, you're able to answer each person appropriately. So you're nuanced and you're specific based on who the person is and what they're going through. We're not talking about a, a one-size-fits-all approach. You know that person well enough and you care about them so that you can speak into wherever they're at, whatever they're going through, which means you've got to have a relationship with them to know those things. It's not just fly by and share the gospel and on you go. You're living life with them. You care about them. They're a part of your life. And I love this because what, what we see is Paul's message is not of a church that is standoffish and known for all the things that it's against. That's not, the, that's not the picture he gives here. Rather, the church is to be known for being humble and, and meek, being full of people who are known for intentionality and ministry to others, that they care for others. They're sacrificial in the way that they live for the good of others. And that's a compelling lifestyle that, that invites others in. People want to know, why do you live this way? How do you have this hope? Why are you so gracious and generous? How do you have peace in the midst of turmoil? Why do you have joy in the midst of suffering? That's what we see here. And that is, frankly, the kind of church I want to be. And that starts with me. And for you, that starts with you. Right? Each one of us is responsible to do our part. We can't change each other. We can, we can only deal with ourselves. Will you do your part? That's the call. And the beauty of all of this, we're not in it alone. That's what Paul makes so abundantly clear at the, at the end of his letter. We are not in this alone. Right? This, this calling to worship Christ and walk with Christ is a corporate calling. We do this in community. We're called to advance the gospel together. To advance the gospel together. And this final section of Paul's letter from verses 7 through 18, it just it stretches through all of these different names and uh, local churches where it just is a helpful reminder that this is a community project. And Paul begins to share about all these different ministry partners who are helping advance the gospel. And I think <clears throat> it paints for us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to minister in community. So you have Tychicus. I tried so hard to learn how to pronounce that guy's name. That's a tough one. I think it's Tychicus, right? He is the one who's taking the letter from Paul to the Colossian church. So he's sending them 
as a faithful brother, right? That's the words he uses there. A faithful brother or beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. Paul trusts Tychicus. He's a man who has been a blessing to him. And now he's sending him to the Colossians so that that he can give an update on how Paul's doing and, and can encourage that church with this news of how the gospel is progressing while he's in prison. But he's not alone. Alongside of him is Onesimus, who was a slave from Colossae, but now is a Christian. So he says, this is your fellow brother. He's your faithful and beloved brother. And Paul's using these, these amazing familial terms to describe these men. They're his spiritual family. He loves them. He cares for them. They're important to him. These are his partners in the gospel work. That's a, a beautiful example for us. Do we see one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, as partners in the gospel work? Do we treat one another like that? Are we excited to be doing life together, that that we want to get to know each other, that we want to encourage each other on in love and good deeds? That's what we're called to do. And it makes a huge difference when we think this way. Now I see, I need you. I need you. I need you, right? And you need me, vice versa. We're in this together. And we are looking out for one another. We're walking alongside of each other. We're bearing each other up during tough seasons and celebrating during those victories that God has put in our lives. We're not alone. We're united in Christ. And we see that here in Paul's comments. He, he specifically draws attention to the fact that there are both Jews and Gentiles doing ministry with him. But those things that used to be a, a pretty stark difference that would have, they wouldn't have partnered together, those things don't matter in light of Christ, in light of the unity that they have in Christ. Now they're working together towards one common end, sharing the gospel with the world. See, what's more important to them than their ethnic differences is the advancement of the gospel. And these closing verses are just a great opportunity for us to rejoice as we think about the fellow laborers that, that we get to, to walk alongside of, brothers and sisters in Christ who care about the advancement of the gospel. And so as I was preparing for today, I was just thinking about how thankful I am for the men and women who are helping lead the ministries of our church, small group ministries, men's and women's ministries, the adults who are serving in Harvest Students and Harvest Kids, discipling the next generation. I'm thankful for the students who are serving regularly on Sunday mornings in a variety of ways. I'm thankful for the people who are out in our community building relationships, seeking to to challenge the rest of the body. Hey, you need to be out here. You need to be loving your neighbors. It's so encouraging. I mean, there are specific names that go with each of those categories, but we'd be up here all day if I started naming names. Praise God for fellow laborers in the gospel. It's a blessing for me as a pastor to see men and women taking their call Seriously, they're laying down their lives. They're sacrificing their time, their talents, and their treasures in order to advance the gospel. Praise God for his work in you, if that's you. And not only am I thankful for the individuals, I'm also thankful that we get to partner with other local churches. And we see Paul celebrating the relationship between the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea. He's calling them to partner together, and we have the opportunity to do that as well. Jack and I were just meeting with Pastor Jason over at Crossroads Community Church earlier this week. We're partnering with them to host a parenting conference for our community later this spring. And so we were getting together to just talk through the details of that and and get things hammered down. Um, And I'm excited for that. I think that'll be a huge blessing to our community. We've heard from city councilmen who have said, 
That's a big need in, in our town. Parents are overwhelmed. They're stressed out. They need support. They need help. So we're going to partner with another local church and try to address that need. I'm thankful that we're able to partner with Multiply Church, who's been meeting here for months now on Saturday evenings as they're trying to find their future church home in West Des Moines. That day is coming. They have found a church, a future location in an elementary school down there. And so we're rejoicing with them that they are going to be in their community, continuing to advance the gospel. And we're going to keep looking for ways to advance the gospel in partnership with them. Those are sweet opportunities. They're, they're worthy of rejoicing in. It's exactly what we see Paul focusing on in this letter. These men and women are his fellow workers. They're working together for the kingdom of God. You see him uh, talk about Epaphras, right? There's the guy who helped plant the Colossian church. Where is he now? He's in prison with Paul. He brought an update to Paul of the news, and somehow he ended up in prison with him. But he's not done. He doesn't quit his ministry. No, what we hear is he's continuing to struggle in prayer for his church. He earnestly desires their spiritual maturity. What a great, again, example, right? This is a living, breathing testimony of what it looks like to advance the gospel together. Let's look to these guys. Let's look to them and follow their example. Advance the gospel together in community. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, the church of Colossae, the church of Laodicea, working together, sharing what they've learned, spurring one another on in the mission. That's our calling even today as Christians. Again, so you think about that for your life. Is that how you view your calling? Is that how you approach other brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spur them on. I'm going to offer a word of encouragement for how I see God at work in their life. Or I see, I see something that's concerning, so I'm going to love them enough to die to my fear of man and say, brother or sister, I'm concerned for you. This is hindering your walk. Are you quick to share what God has been teaching you? Man, I just got to tell you about what I've learned in the Gospel of Luke this week. It is on my heart, and you need to hear it. That's spurring one another on in the Gospel. Is that your desire to advance the Gospel together? And I certainly hope it is. And if it's not the case, if you're here and you can say, look, I don't know that that's my heart, please cry out to the Lord and say, God, I, I want you to change me in this area. Please give me a, a fresh heart in this area. Because how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? And how beautiful would it be if we had 200 pairs of feet, men and women from all ages, from adults down to the kiddos, bringing the gospel to our community? That would be powerful. That would be effective. And I believe that that would honor and glorify the Lord. Time is of the essence. There are a finite amount of moments left. So there's no room for any of us who profess Christ to be silent, to remain uh, selfish and inwardly focused, to live in a way that drives others away rather than inviting them in. Those things must change. And I thought I would, I would end with these memorable words um, from DC Talk from back in the 90s. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And may that not be true of you. May that not be true of me. May we persevere in prayer 
God, we need you to move. We need you to act. May we cultivate a compelling lifestyle that invites others in, that we might share the hope that we have in Christ. And may we value advancing the gospel together, seeing that we're brothers and sisters and locking arms with one another, caring for each other, so that all could hear and have the opportunity to repent and believe. And the reason we do this is all for the glory of God, right? It's not to make a great name for us. It's because Christ is greater. Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent. Let's end our time with a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we just come before you this morning, and we are so thankful for the way that Paul has ended this letter. Thank you for the ways that you led him to end this letter. Just, again, with that call to be out in the community ministering the gospel. It's not about us, Lord. It's all about you, and it's all about loving others. And so would you help us to be steadfast in prayer, to, to persevere in it, even when we're struggling, uh, even when we don't feel like it, or even when we've been you know, focused on so many other things. May we put those aside. May we turn our eyes back to you. May we seek you again. May we be thankful in prayer. May we rejoice in how we see you at work in our community. But Lord, then may we go from praying to actively engaging our community, living in a way that would invite others in, living in a way that would attract attention in a positive way, that would bring about gospel opportunities, gospel conversations. Help us to care about those that we share this, this earth with. We, we're, we're here with them for a, a finite amount of time, and they are a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. So help us to care about them enough to engage them with the gospel, to love them with the gospel. And Lord, through it all, may we worship you. You are the one we, we praise. You are the one who is worthy of worship. As we advance the gospel, it's not about us. It's not about making a name for us. It's all about making a name for you because your name is great and you are worthy of praise. And so it's our joy to, to unite our voices um, and sing of your praises together. And we want to see that be a people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation because we know that's what the, heaven, uh, that's what the, the new heaven and new earth are going to sound like. And we want to reflect that here in this lifetime if it would be your will. Unite us, Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.